Hello, readers. Coming up, it's episode number 212 with Ian Miller on Unmasked. First, I wanted to encourage you to check out our website at booksonpod.com. While there, you can sort through past shows by episode number, book title, author's last name, or sort by category. For instance, select the current events and politics, history, or science and medicine category for episode number 193 with Dr. Paul Offit on You Bet Your Life. Hi, I'm Paul Offit, the author of You Bet Your Life, From Blood Transfusions to Mass Vaccination, The Long and Risky History of Medical Innovation. And you're listening to Books on Pod with Trey Elling. Hello, readers. Ian Miller is the guy behind the Unmasked Substack and the author of Unmasked, The Global Failure of COVID Mask Mandates. Ian, thank you so much for the time. How are you doing today? Thanks very much for having me. I'm doing well. It's my pleasure, Ian. So there were two narratives that have been pushed by health organizations with regards to non-pharmaceutical interventions that do or don't help with the spread of respiratory viruses, which of course includes the value of masks. While the narrative did flip less than a month into the COVID-19 pandemic, what was the consensus amongst these health entities with regards to masking, mitigating the spread of such viruses prior to the COVID-19 pandemic really taking hold of this planet? Well, the consensus was pretty clear that there was no impact from mask wearing in the general population to reduce the spread of an infectious respiratory virus. Uh, I cover that in the book, and, and there were it's it's a one of the main points was that. Uh, in late March of 2020, Fauci was sent an email by one of the employees at the uh, NIH saying that they had reviewed the, the best evidence on mask wearing and all of it was conclusive that there was no statistically significant difference uh, in reduction of infections with due to masking. Literally three or four days later, the CDC and Fauci reversed course and said everybody should wear a mask to prevent the spread of COVID. So obviously there was no new science that suggested masks would work within three or four days of this email being sent. So, I mean, really what it could come down to is, is this precautionary principle thing of like, well, maybe it'll work, so we should try it. Uh, I think a lot of people thought that the Asian countries at that point were beating COVID because of mask wearing. I'm sure there was some political motivation, uh, but there, there really is no good justification scientifically for why they flipped from the evidence saying masks don't work in a matter of days to saying everybody needs to wear a mask to stop COVID. Um, and especially when you consider that it's, it's, they were saying everybody wear a cloth mask, which basically everybody agrees now is essentially useless. So there, there was no good evidence to begin with, and there wasn't any change that suggested they should have recommended mask wearing. And there were some grand statements made about the invisible horrors that accompanied asymptomatic transmission that theoretically furthered the case for mask wearing in the earliest days of the pandemic. Was there any research in 2020 that examined the real threat of asymptomatic transmission? Well, the only research that was conducted basically said that there wasn't a significant threat of asymptomatic transmission. And what's really confusing about using asymptomatic transmission as a justification for mask wearing was that asymptomatic transmission is also part of the flu. I mean, we don't know exactly how much, but it is a contributor. So all these studies that were conducted on mask wearing on the flu said it didn't stop the flu. The flu can also be spread asymptomatically. COVID can be spread asymptomatically, but it, it shows that it's not the main contributor to, to COVID spread. So all these studies said it didn't work, and then they use that to say we need to stop asymptomatic transmission with mask wearing for COVID. So it, it really doesn't hold up to logic at all when you look at what the evidence on asymptomatic spread said. 
Um, when, and when you consider that the flu is also spread that way, and we've never recommended masks to stop the flu because we've conducted all these trials that showed it didn't work. Uh, I mean, I haven't seen, I don't know if there's been any updates since then, but the last research I had seen was that the asymptomatic spread was not a significant contributor to COVID. I've read that recently as well, but in the beginning of all of this, there's obviously a ton of confusion uh, as to what worked, what didn't, whether the disease was spread by droplets or aerosol, which of course led to an incessant amount of surface disinfecting and uh, a bunch of hand sanitizer hoarding as well. But real world data had shown us by June that this was a virus that spread by aerosol leading to the CDC to even say that surface transmission was unlikely. Why is this important to know when discussing the efficacy of masking? Right. Well, and there's a lot of good things in that question. Uh, the, uh, going back to the aerosol transmission, it's really important to highlight that because I, and I bring this up in the book. The UK and their, like, their equivalent of the CDC had done research on masks stopping aerosols, which is now kind of universally accepted as the main route of transmission for COVID. And they said that they were completely ineffective. I mean, there was no hedging. There was no, oh, it might work. 5%, 10%, it was, they don't work against aerosols. The entire premise of trying to mask based off of droplets uh, was never going to work because that's just not the primary route of transmission as everybody now acknowledges. So we had all this evidence showing, showing it wouldn't work. And the, I think the doubling down by the CDC after it became obvious that it was aerosol transmission, which was, as you say, it was pretty early on, um, it's just, it's the sunk cost fallacy. You know, they spent all this money, they, they did all this promotion, they were using I mean, the Warner Brothers uh, studios had uh, used Photoshop to put masks on like characters from classic movies like Casablanca and they put it in Harry Potter. I mean, this is the level of, of promotion they were trying to get. Uh, tens of millions of dollars in, in money was spent across the country to promote mask wearing. Well, you can't do all that and then tell everybody, actually, we messed up. It doesn't work. So I think it was, it was a lot of this like, well, we've committed to this path. We have to try to justify it any way that we can. Um, and I think it also became a very political thing where uh, you know people started to feel like they had a, a kind of sense of superiority by I'm a good person because I wear a mask, I'm doing my part to stop the spread of COVID. So it, it's all these these kind of elements that combined where you have these political incentives, you have these, these sunk cost incentives and um, and no incentive to end mask wearing. You know, they didn't, it doesn't, as far as they're concerned, it doesn't have any negative side effects. So uh, it's kind of a, a mess, a really frustrating circumstance that a lot of these agencies and public health experts weren't willing to actually update their findings and follow science. They just kind of went with, uh, well, we've, we've recommended it, so we have to keep pushing it now. And the mass claims became even more ridiculous in September of 2020 when medical professionals actually started to claim that masks were more effective than a potential new vaccine what was the rationale here as absurd as it may be now? I don't know what the rationale was. That's a great question. It, it really doesn't make any sense. It, it's one of the more confusing statements that I've seen at, at, at any point, which is you know trying to say that a mask is going to protect you personally better than a vaccine, especially because the CDC for so long was saying that it was to prevent, so it was to use a source control, meaning you were going to stop you, you know, you didn't get a lot of protection from mask wearing, but that you would stop the spread to other people by wearing a mask. And then the CDC director, like you say, comes out and says that masks might protect me better than a vaccine does. I, that doesn't make any sense. I mean, even if uh, masks had some efficacy to which they clearly really don't, um, trying to diminish the trust in a potential, you know, vaccine or whatever would is just insane. And 
you know, we have randomized controlled trials for vaccines to try to determine a level of e efficacy. They didn't conduct any randomized controlled trials on mask wearing. There was no new studies of gold standard type studies to suggest that mask wearing had a protective benefit. It was all just based off of the laboratory simulations and mannequins and, uh, you know, and modeling. But that's not how we determine policy. Is, is it shouldn't be anyway. Um, so to say that was really, really confusing and obviously immediately disproven because just a couple months later, the numbers broke every record previously and over winter, which was entirely predictable given, it's, uh, you know, <laughs> this is seasonal impacts of this stuff. But yeah, very confusing statement. I, I don't understand it. I still don't understand it. But it is, uh, it just kind of points out how a lot of these experts were just kind of throwing anything at the wall to see what sticks and weren't really kind of backing up their assertions with evidence. One of the few randomized controlled trials that was conducted in 2020 was a Danish study. What did they find? There was no statistically significant impact from mask wearing. And what they were measuring was basically trying to give, they gave a group of people masks and said, here's how to use it. And, a, and told another group of people to not wear masks uh, and compared the rates among those populations. So it, it wasn't measuring source control as much, but as you say, it was measuring the protective impact, right? This is what the CDC director was saying is that masks would protect you. Well, that's essentially what this, this Danish study was doing. Uh, suggesting if you wore a mask all the time and properly, and they instructed people how to use it properly, would you be less likely to get COVID? And the answer was no, <laughs> it didn't matter. They were, the rates were essentially identical. So it's, and they were only trying to measure a 50% level of efficacy in that study saying that was their, their hypothesis that if masks could reduce infections by 50%, it failed that test. So it, and of course, there was very little media coverage of that study because it didn't promote the narrative. And the CDC, and this study was you know, fairly well conducted. And the CDC, meanwhile, shares these terrible laboratory things and, and modeling to try to promote it and ignores the actual randomized controlled trial, which showed that there was no impact. There are several moments for me that come to mind when I realized that masking was ridiculous and thinking back over the last couple of years. The first moment was before the pandemic began, about a decade ago, where my medical professional wife set me straight on the protection surgical masks do and don't provide. So I knew anyone wearing the mask to protect themselves was at best protecting others. And if they said that they were protecting themselves, they were clueless. People wearing a mask alone in a building or outside at all were completely missing the theoretical point. And then there's the notion of wearing a mask into a restaurant and taking it off at your table, a concept that has been so joked about it's almost become cliche. For you as someone who has done such a good job of showing the ineffectiveness of masking and mask mandates, what was the starting point for you in debunking all of this? Well, I live in California. Obviously, California has been as devoted as any state anywhere in the world, really, to, to masking. And so early in 2020, it became pretty obvious that it wasn't making a significant impact on the numbers in California. Um, you know, we would see huge spikes in Los Angeles County, for example, where everybody was wearing a mask. And it, so it got me interested early, early on. And then obviously, like you mentioned, the, the kind of theatrical nature of this all, this whole thing where you, you wear a mask for three feet to your table, sit down, take the mask off. Um, it just kind of all seemed absurd and ridiculous and, and arbitrary. And so it, I wanted to look at the impact myself and say, okay, well, we did these things. What was the result? And, and that's a big part of this too, is that there's, there's also, there's trade-offs to everything, right? So, you know, what is the benefit versus the harms? 
and it's clear that mask wearing has harms. It's clear it has harms for everybody and, and kids and every everybody that's forced to wear it. So if what we're doing is so important, there should be a clear benefit to outweigh the harms. And over and over and over again, you would I would notice these patterns that there was no benefit. Everywhere you looked, everywhere you compared, there was no benefit. Wasn't consistent at all, if anything. So it, it became this kind of, uh, you know, a, a, a way for me to show, okay, well, if we're doing this, that this intervention that has these negative side effects, can we prove that it works? And the answer is repeatedly is just no. So that's been my goal is just to cover as much as I can cover international locations, domestic county down to the county level and set and show how consistent this effect is that everywhere you look, mask mandates and mask wearing just makes no difference at all. One of the reasons you have been so effective in debunking the value of masking and mask mandates is the easy to read charts that you tweet out through your handle on Twitter at ENMSC. The first couple I remember that really resonated for me showed the graphs for case counts and hospitalizations of neighboring counties and states with drastically different mitigation measures in place. Where do you get your information from and how time consuming is it for you to put these charts together? The information all comes from either the New York Times, which just basically tracks the data from the states and upload and creates a, a, an update every day with the new data or the CDC or the World Health Organization or Johns Hopkins. I mean, it's just it's all anywhere that has these uh, Excel downloads. That's basically all it is. You just take the, the data from from these websites, put it in Excel and then look up when we did things. And it's, it's pretty simple. It, it's time consuming to an extent that it does take some time to put together and do the research and figure out, okay, well, when did this state do that? And, you know, when did they lift this or lift that uh, and keep track of it all. And, it, it, but it, it's worth doing because like you say, the, it's, it's important to show all these areas that are, are geographically similar have tried to do different things and had the same results. So um, Tom Woods did a fantastic job with this, where he basically created this game where you could have two lines on a chart and with no label on it, and you could have to try to guess which one had the mask mandate and which one didn't. And that's kind of the point. And it's done in a very eloquent, simplistic way, which is if you, if you mask wearing was so important, if all these lockdowns and, and these interventions were so important, you should be able to immediately tell this is the place that had the mask mandate and this one didn't. And you can't tell often. And sometimes the areas with the mandates and the interventions did worse. Um, so it, it's, it's really important. These comparisons are really important. And it's very, uh, it's a very like clear, concise way to show people how little impact there's been from all these interventions. Um, so that was the goal. And it, the data is all publicly accessible. As I tell people, I can walk you through how to recreate it yourself. So it's not, it's not that hard to do. It's just nobody else is really doing it. So I kind of made it my goal to step in and, and do it as consistently as I could. Since we're comparing states, you live in California, obviously Florida th is handling things in about as opposite a manner as uh, how California is doing it. So how has America's most flaccid member performed with COVID versus California since dropping nearly all restrictions in September of 2020? Immediately afterwards in that winter, California did significantly worse than Florida, and especially by a percentage of excess deaths, which is you know the, the number above an expected level of, of deaths in that area. Um, California was dramatically worse than Florida, and and that's that's the thing. You know, it, it, it Florida and California are obviously in different coasts; they have different demographics, and Florida has a much higher uh, average age. It's a lot older, uh, more elderly population, 
And in the time period when these mandates in California, where they had lockdowns again and uh, mask mandates and, and business closures and capacity restrictions and all this stuff, the numbers were significantly worse. Age-adjusted mortality and excess deaths. And, and that's really the key is to point out, you know, you can try to stop COVID as much as you want. But, and obviously the numbers are the numbers are going to happen regardless of what you do. It's 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 an unfortunate reality, but it is reality. And, and instead of trying to minimize the the harms, accepting you know we did all this stuff, it didn't work. California just keeps you know they just kept doubling down and doubling down and doubling down. Um, and it's it's really uh, uh, frustrating too because of how predictable this all is. Where you can go back and look, you know, now we have two years of this where you can say, well, the cases in Florida went up in the summer. In 2020, they'll go up again in the summer of 2021, which they did, and and just like now, I'm sure we'll see in 20, happen again in 2022, and you know, California will. The Gavin Newsom tweets out these sarcastic things saying, "Oh, we're doing so much better than Florida right now." Yeah, that's the trend. And then, of course, in the winter, California has reported more cases than Florida from 2021 into 2022. So it's it's a it's a very uh, common issue where these politicians try to take credit for the seasons and then get disproven a few months later and never go back and say, actually, we were wrong uh, and, and try to you know lift these measures that have demonstrable harms to them. Now, regional seasonality is an underrated element of all of this. Now, all along, the CDC has been flouting evidence that masks work, uh, even when there are glaring flaws uh, in their research that they are showing to the public. We'll get to a most recent example shortly. First, though, how have hospital numbers been manipulated to help the case for masking with the CDC and others? Well, I think one of the biggest issues is not separating out people that are there with COVID and people that are there for COVID. Uh, now that there's a new administration, all of a sudden they're, they, they're more interested in doing this separation. There was a story that just came out about that, how they, the, the government's trying to encourage hospitals to report for versus with. Um, if you look, North Dakota is one of the few places that has been doing this consistently. And the numbers have been about 50-50 where people are there with COVID or for COVID. Um, obviously it's impossible to get a real true sense of how many people are, are sick with the with disease. Uh, unless you do that. And so the fact that we haven't tried, even though that data I'm sure has been very accessible, I'm sure the hospitals have kept track of it, um, I think has been used to try to encourage mask wearing where they say, see, look, hospitalizations have gone up so much and that's why we need mask wearing. You know, they'll ignore, well, we already had a mask mandate and everybody's wearing masks and then the numbers went up. It just, you know, they'll say, oh, well, that just shows how important it is to keep wearing masks. Um, but, you know, you, you, the true toll is really how sick people actually are, and we haven't had good data on that. And the CDC will also do things like show, oh, pediatric hospitalizations have risen dramatically. Well, and they'll, have, they'll omit that when you compare it to adult hospitalization rates or those over 65, the numbers are infinitesimal. And especially with children, I'm sure, I'm sure the numbers are even higher in terms of those that are there with COVID that test positive, that are there for a broken arm versus those that are actually sick with the disease. So it, it is a, uh, it's been a frustrating aspect of, of this tracking the data that they haven't done a better job of consistently measuring with versus for across the whole country. Yeah, it's interesting that it's the most vaccinated places that started to make that distinction over the last couple of months because they realized how much worse the numbers were going to look otherwise. And that for me, Ian, has been one of the most frustrating things about all of this for all the flaws that the uh, American medical healthcare system possesses, we do have access to robust da data. And the fact that we 
have a hard time even getting the most simplistic things, much less a more comprehensive breakdown, all of it, including an age breakdown, uh, a breakdown of BMI scores for those who do end up in the hospital and with the most serious cases of, uh, of this, those who are vaccinated or unvaccinated, those who have been vaccinated X number of months ago versus those who have received the booster versus those who have received a single vaccine. Uh, that has been in short supply, which is why I feel like it's very important to look internationally, which I feel like a lot of people in this country haven't been willing to do because there is so much trust placed in the CDC right now, even as they continue to be wrong over and over again over the past two years. Yeah, absolutely. It is a uh, it is disturbing. I think when you when you look at the numbers based off of vaccination status, that's probably the best example of how really flawed the U.S. data has been. Um, and nobody really questions how there can be such a wide variance in these in these outcomes. Like, for example, in the U.K. and in Scotland, uh, Denmark, Iceland, all these areas that do a better job of tracking this, the numbers uh, currently by case rates and over the last over this winter surge. Have been significantly higher even after adjusting for population among fully vaccinated people and yet in the united states you still see this it's a pandemic of the unvaccinated message being thrown around which is clearly not possible because it's you know a lot of the same products that are being used in denmark and iceland and the uk but somehow we're supposed to believe that the vaccines do a much better job of preventing transmission and infection in the united states than they do in these other countries that are using the same thing um you know ontario canada they do a better job of this too where they have hospitalizations by vaccination status. And, and over this last winter surge, you know, 75 to 78% of hospitalizations were among those who were partially or fully vaccinated. It's a little bit lower than the, the rate of in the population of those who have been, have been vaccinated. But it's, it's the point is, is that this is not 95% of people in hospitals are, are unvaccinated. That's just not accurate. It can't be accurate because we know Ontario is using the same stuff. So it, it is a uh, they have access to this data. They just don't present it clearly because at this point, it's fairly obvious that what they're trying to do is sell their their agenda, sell their their goals, and not just present accurate, clear information. Interestingly, Minnesota, one of the few states that provides earnest data, or at least a version of earnest data in that regard. Now, one of the more common arguments for masking goes like this, Ian. If masks are so ineffective, why has the seasonal flu disappeared? So why has the seasonal flu gone way down over the last couple of winters? Yeah, I devoted an entire chapter to this in the book because it really is an important argument to kind of debunk and you hear it all the time. Um, one of the easiest ways to do it is just look at the timing of when the flu disappeared in 2020 um, compared to when people started to wear masks because it started to disappear early, early on when all the experts and Fauci and the Surgeon General were all saying, don't buy masks, don't wear masks, they don't work. So you know, nobody was really wearing it. It wasn't a mandate. Nobody had mandated it yet. By the time the CDC recommended mask wearing by the general population, the flu had already essentially gone away. And it went away in the United States and went away in Sweden and Japan and Australia, all these places at exactly the same time, regardless of their different policies on mask wearing. And it stayed away for the same time period in all these different countries. So, you know, we know hardly anybody in Sweden was wearing a mask, for example, and yet the flu disappeared there too. And it stayed away in Japan and the United States. We all had totally different policies. We all had totally different mask wearing. And it, it just doesn't make sense to try to say that mass disappeared when, for the mass made the flu disappear when all of the good, high quality, randomized controlled trials on mask wearing had been done against the flu and all of them showed it didn't work. We already knew that. So it, it's just kind of this, uh, this post hoc try to justification of mask wearing, but it doesn't hold up even just to the slightest bit of scrutiny. 
So, and especially I, I create an example of like Norway and Sweden where Norway and Sweden have had very different COVID numbers, but their flu numbers have been exactly the same despite different policies. And that just goes to show you that very little of it, if any, probably zero is attributable to policy interventions. Cloth and surgical masks provide no extra protection with regards to the spread of aerosol respiratory viruses. Do N95 and KN95 masks help the wearer a little bit more? In theory, they would, especially the actual N95s. A lot of the KN95s are counterfeit from China that are just, they're no, it's just as useless as the cloth masks. Uh, in theory, fit tested N95 respirators would, would help a bit more. The problem is, is that you can't fit test people for N95s. There's not the resources or the ability or the desire to do it. And wearing them for any extended period of time is completely uncomfortable. And uh, it, so, you know, it doesn't matter how effective they would be if you can't wear it for more than an hour. And I think believe in the CDC director recently said that she's worn them for long periods of time and they're just uncomfortable and it's, it's not uh, practical to expect people to do that. And also if you have facial hair, that means that it's not going to fit properly because you're going to have gaps. Um, and in practice, we've seen areas that have had N95 mandates like Germany and Austria have, have broken records in 2022. Cases have ex exploded. They're higher than they've ever been. So we've already kind of done a real world experiment of how effective N95s would be in the population. And the answer is they're completely ineffective. So it, it's kind of a, a, a theoretical but pointless <laughs> distinction at this point. <laughs> Yeah, people don't realize that it really does need to suction cup to your face. And it also says on the N95 masks meant to be worn once or meant to be used once. There are way too many people walking around here in Austin, fat dudes with Amish beards wearing the N95 mask. And on the one hand, I want to say something to them. On the other hand, it's like, look, you, you be you. If you feel like you're doing something for yourself, good for you. Just don't force that policy on me because I think it's been established throughout your book and in this conversation. Masking does not provide that much in the way of extra protection. Now, I think the point where it becomes harmful is when it is forced upon children uh, in the school setting, especially. So uh, is that something where you see this being a major issue that could be affecting this country for years down the road, those places that are unfortunately forcing kids to wear masks for eight plus hours while they're at school? I certainly hope not. I think literally yesterday we, you know, we saw a lot of shift in this policy among politicians that had been previously very dedicated to mask wearing. And, and the, it, I don't know if some kind of memo went out or something, but all these states immediately started lifting their, their school mask mandates or announcing an end to the mask mandates from schools. Uh, I think the, the polling numbers on that have just been really bad because a lot of parents are understandably don't like it and are, are sick of it. And especially when you see you know, these kind of hypocritical photos, like we saw with Stacey Abrams, where she's in the school and she's unmasked and everybody, all the kids around her are masked. It's just a horrible image that, that kind of showcases how uh, theatrical all this is. So it's, I think it's a, it, hopefully it will be, it will be ending universally here within the next couple of months. It should never have happened in the first place. We're one of the only countries that masks kids as young as two, hardly anybody else does that. A lot of European countries never had masks in schools, and obviously their numbers were no worse than ours. If anything, they were better among kids. Uh, there's been studies conducted showing schools are not major drivers of transmission with or without masking. Um, Florida has had kind of had that experiment temporarily where some districts had mask wearing and some didn't, and the numbers were exactly the same. There was no benefit. So it, it, if anybody actually, if these politicians really were, were concerned with following the science, like they claim they are following the data, the school masking would have been done a long time ago and you know hopefully and anybody that still has it should be ending it immediately um 
I, I do have some concern that teachers unions are going to get involved in this and that potentially we'll see it in areas like California come back in winter. Um, you know, I don't know what can be really done about that. Unfortunately, I think it's just like this, you know, this turn to fear and panic and accepting people's anxiety that I have to be protecting. Uh, you know, as a kid, I have to protect a teacher's anxiety about getting COVID when they've all had the opportunity to get vaccinated and boosted and all the other uh, interventions. Um, and nobody, you know, nobody's telling a teacher they can't wear a mask if they're so, if they believe it works, let them wear a mask and let the kids walk around free. But uh, so, the, you know, to go to answer the question, I hope that it ends soon. I still have some concerns that it won't in all areas, but it, it needs to be over. It should have been over yesterday or that hundred days ago. I mean, as long as the governor in California is taking maskless pictures with Magic Johnson at football games and the San Francisco mayor, London Breed, is partying at a nightclub the night that uh, the mask mandate supposedly goes into effect in San Francisco, I don't blame anybody for not abiding by that ridiculous arcane rule. Yeah, it, it's been a very consistent pattern of politicians not actually complying with their own mandates. And it tells you that they don't, I don't know that they really believe in them very much. They just, you know, they, they are, the biggest concern that they have is not being criticized, is criticized for not doing enough. And, and that's really one of the points in the book that I make and it's something I've tried to make across all of the media that I do is that these politicians, I think, have been led astray by public health experts. They're more concerned with being criticized uh, getting criticism from the media that says you didn't do enough to stop COVID, you're putting lives at risk by not wearing mandating masks or, or whatever it is. They don't really care if criticism comes from people that are, are fed up with mask wearing or you know parents that are mad at school board meetings. They just dismiss it as, oh, you're anti-mask, you know, or you're anti-this. And that that being able to label people that way kind of immediately discredits them and puts them on the back foot of having to defend their their line of thinking. I'd say I'm not anti-mask. I'm pro-evidence and pro-data, and the, all the evidence and data suggests that it doesn't work. So it, it's really these these hypocritical photos. It just kind of shows that they don't really view COVID as that serious uh, of, an, of a problem, and they don't really think that mask wearing matters very much. But they don't want to be criticized for not doing enough, and they don't want to be criticized for not following the experts, as they like to say. Got to lie in the bed that you made there. All right, last question, Ian. Earlier this week, the CDC put out another study touting the effectiveness of masking in indoor public settings for prevention of SARS-CoV-2 infection. How is this research flawed to the point of being completely discredited? Yeah, I wrote a piece about it, and it is really, uh, for Substack, and it, it's really bad. It's a very, very, very poorly conducted study. One of the biggest issues just in general is that they used cloth masking to say that uh, it reduced infections by 56% compared to people who didn't wear a mask ever except that the result for cloth masking was not statistically significant. And they hide that little, that little note at the very bottom of the graphic. So of course, all these media outlets have re retweeted this and posted it and put it on their, their air, except they used a result that's not statistically, statistically significant. I mean, that's malpractice. You can't do that. That's, that's just misinformation. Any, any you know, researcher worth their salt would be running away from this result and trying to you know, distance themselves from it because you can't do that. Um, another issue is that the sample sizes were just laughably small. It, it, through February 2021 to December 1st, 2021, that's when they conducted the study. They had a grand total of 86 people that they that they were able to track that said they never wore a mask in any public setting. 86 people in California, a state of almost 40 million people. I mean, that's that's just useless. That's not a good good uh, barrier for. Uh, it's not enough of a sample to make these kind of grand pronouncements. And the other problem was that they. 
uh, the confidence intervals, meaning, you know, what was the possible range of effect from the type of mask, which was the point of the graphic that they posted, the confidence intervals were huge, where there was the potential on their research that there was no effect whatsoever, or that it was 100% effective. So when you have confidence intervals that big, what it's telling you is that there is no significant impact, and you can't be using this research to try to sell, uh, you know, a, a promote a policy. But that's exactly what they did. Um, and it's really, really flawed. I know other people have written about it too. The methodology is really flawed. Um, and it, it's just a, it's the latest in a long line of issues with the CDC of doing really terrible research and then posting it to kind of promote their policies. Fortunately, there are some sharp minds calling BS on CDC, WHO, and other studies that insist that masking is good in the face of uh, just a pile of evidence that is not. That includes Ian Miller, the guy behind the Unmasked Substack and the author of the new book, Unmasked, The Global Failure of COVID Mask Mandates. You can get it now wherever books are sold. Ian, thank you so much for the time today, and thank you for this very important book. Oh, thank you very much for having me. really appreciate it. Thanks to Gentleman Jesus for the intro and outro music. Hear more of his work at GentlemanJesus.com. And thanks to you for hanging out. You can watch, listen, learn, and connect for free at BooksOnPod.com. For Books on Pod, I'm Trey Elling. Good day. Good day.